Are you a business owner looking to grow and scale your company? Do you want to prepare your company to successfully take on investment? Start by taking the Become Investable Digital Scorecard Assessment. In less than six minutes, you will have information identifying weaknesses in your business model and receive advice on how to address them. Developed using the signature BI methodology, the scorecard assesses your business based on six key investability metrics and provides a comprehensive report to show you how to build a more investable business. Go to becomeinvestable.com scorecard today to start your journey to investability. From the Caribbean to the world, this show is for those of you seeking to grow and scale your business to compete on a global stage. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and this is Caribbean Power Lunch. In this episode, Become Investable co-founder Zara Alain speaks at the Better World Business Pitch Competition all about the pitch. Here, Zara is going to take a time to dissect what investors look for when business owners are pitching to them in order to seek investment. We hope you find this session very informative. And without further ado, Zara, please take it away. It's really an honor to be here this morning um, to speak with you and learn from you. And I'd really like to thank the the Better World team um, for the invitation to participate in this learning session. So this presentation that I'm going to give is really talking about fundamentals of a good business model and talking about how to put together a good pitch. But just also remember that this is not the be all and end all of this information, right? There's there's many different ways to approach these things. So if if you have your own way, you have your own spin you want to put on things, that is also completely fine. This is really just to give you some of the fundamentals, some of the things that you can think about, especially when you're putting together a business idea and how you're presenting it. Because essentially a pitch is really just how you present your business idea to whether it's potential partners or more likely investors, people who want to invest in you, want to invest in the company, want to give money and or resources to help your company grow, to help make it a reality. So without further ado, um, we'll jump into the presentation. Um, as I said, today, we're really going to talk about how to build an investable business and how to tell your story to investors. What we'll cover really today is a few things. First, we're going to look at kind of start at the beginning. So what it really takes to become a business owner. Some of the questions um, to help you guide sort of the business model formation, how to make your business more investable, which was what um, our company Become Investable focuses on, guiding businesses to become more investable, to become prepared to accept investment, prepared to approach investors. And then also, you know, much more to the point for this competition is how to pitch your business to investors, right? But you can't pitch a business if you don't have a strong model, right? If you don't have a strong business model, you're just going to be selling dreams. So you really have to have that business model fundamental set up first, and then you'll have something to pitch. If you don't have a strong business model, you're really just selling dreams, right? A lot of people, um, you'll hear them talk about their business and they'll say, um, well, we're getting into this space and um, in this space, it's, it's, this product is for anyone. So anyone above the age of 18 in the entire world is the market for this product. And so they'll say the market for this product is 3 billion people. And if we sell to half those people, then in the first year, we can make $1.5 billion, right? But that's a dream. That's not reality. 
because that's not focused. And if you say that to an investor, they'll say to you, you probably should go back and do a little bit more research because you haven't really looked at what you're really addressing. You haven't looked at the problem that you're trying to solve in, in the most focused way. Because if I give you, if you come to me and you ask me for $100,000 or a million dollars to grow your business, I, I'm, I have to believe in you. I have to think that what you're saying is realistic and that it's achievable. I will say from experience that entrepreneurship is not a, um, it's not always a smooth road and it's not always a straight road. <laughs> so um, what you really have to start with, and you'll see we've, we've done a little roadmap here because we, we do a roadmap to investability. And so this is a roadmap to becoming an owner. And the first step on the roadmap is finding your why, right? So finding that thing, that passion, that idea, the purpose that's going to drive you when things get a little tough, because things tend to get tough, especially in the beginning parts of a business, even when you have the best idea, even when you have a great team, there's going to be adversity, there's going to be a lot of no's, there's going to be a certain amount of failure, that's all part of it, and it's some of the things that you need to learn to, to learn how to accept and learn how to overcome. Having a why, um, that's rooted in something a little bit deeper within you helps because on those days when things are exactly embracing your interests on those days when things are a little tough um, when you might have come back from a meeting and your you know your third investor in a row says it's a great idea but we're just not interested it's a great idea it's not the right time you spent a year looking for funding and you still haven't found it you have to understand why you're doing it, right? And I remember having had meetings with my team where we say, you know, guys, this has been a really tough time. Why are we doing this again? What are we really focusing on? And we have to go back. We go back to our vision. We go back to our mission. You know, we want to make that change. We want to be able to really create that value. We believe strongly that we have something different. We have something to offer. And eventually we found the clients for us, but they were not the first five clients that we spoke to, right? So sometimes that's how it goes. But start with why. Find your why and understand it. When you're developing your idea, these are some of the areas that you can think about to be able to build it out. What can you create, right? What can you create based on your skills, based on your expertise, based on your experiences, based on what you're seeing in your community, based on the problems you've identified, what can you create? Because every business is the creation of a solution to a problem. Think about what's gonna differentiate you from other competitors. Every business has competitors. And so what sets you apart? Um, before you start building out your business, you have to do a lot of research into your market. Do research into your sector, understand it, not just where you're operating now, not just in your, in your local context, look globally as well, understand some of the trends, understand where the market and or the sector is going and also where it was. So you can start to understand the business that you're going to be in and be able to better identify and understand your competitors as well. The number one, one of the number one areas that I think people don't always think about, but is very, very important in business, is understanding your customers. So identifying your customers and then understanding them. 
one of the mistakes that we've seen people and we've seen a lot of our, some of our clients make is having a build it and they will come mentality. Just because you think something is a good idea doesn't necessarily mean that it's solving the problem in a way that people will pay for. Part of the research that's most important when you're trying to understand how to start a business is understanding your customers, understanding what they actually want, how they behave, what they will pay for, and what they consider um, a relevant solution to their problem, right? Think about whether they're willing to pay for the product. And also, you should really be able to answer the question of, especially during a pitch, why would they pay you? So you specifically, why would they pay you to solve this problem? What are you bringing to this problem that no one else is bringing? How are you seeing it differently? How are you solving it differently? And then as someone had also spoken about with when it comes to risk, right? After you've had your idea and you've developed it a bit, you have to think about what's your risk appetite, right? Because starting a business is not always going to be without risk. It sometimes means that you're taking quite a risk, um, stepping out into a path which may not be the traditional path, stepping out into a path which may be different than that, which you had previously considered, right? Uh, and these address some of, some of the, the concerns that you brought up would have been, for example, a lack of diversification. So if your business is not properly diversifying itself from its competitors, for example, then if the match, meet, uh, market is saturated or if there are too many competitors that have the exact same product or service, it run, you run a risk of not being able to really break into the market um, unless you are able to, to truly identify your niche, uh, your specific area, your specific strength, right? Um, there's always the risk of initial business failure, even really good ideas, strong teams, Sometimes the timing isn't right. Sometimes they face, um, you know, a bad economic climate and they may have that initial business failure. As, a, as an individual, as a team, you would have to decide what your strategy is for dealing with those initial failures, whether you're going to pack up shop or whether you have a plan B to be able to continue even if the first idea or the first iteration of the business doesn't do well. Um, and then one risk which addresses some of the other answers that, that would have been put in the chat here is inflexibility to change. You have an idea. Your idea may be your baby. You have thought about this idea for years and you think that this is exactly what the market needs. This is the only way to solve this problem. However, you test it and you realize actually the market wants something slightly different right? If you're not flexible to that change, if you're not flexible to the, to the changes in the taste of the consumers, you're not flexible to the changes in the economy, you're not flexible to the changes in even supply and demand factors, then your business won't be able to survive the ups and downs that are just part of, of general uh, business life, right? So these are all things to think about when you're considering risk and also when you're considering your own risk appetite. Not everyone has the same appetite for risk. Some people are don't are not in a position to be able to to lose money over a longer period of time, right? Um, some people may say, you know, I I'm only giving this a year, and after a year, I'm moving on. I'm doing something else, and that's fine. But be clear with yourself. Be clear with your business partners if you have them. 
as to what your risk appetite is and try to align with people who have similar risk appetites to you. Um, because it means that when, when you have to maybe pivot or change or go in a particular direction, you all have to really believe in the change that you're making and the direction in which you're heading. Which brings us to a very important question when you're thinking about your business model. How are you building your team? So a lot of times, for example, we may start a business with people who are around us, our friends, our family, people who we know. Um, we have an idea and we say, oh, you know, uh, I work well with this person, so maybe I can try to start a business with them. What I will say is that's not always a bad idea. However, um, building a team is more than just familiarity. Um, and depending on the way in which you build the team, sometimes it's better to actually not be as close to the people that you build the business with um, so that you're focusing specifically on the aspects of the business that you need to, to focus on together. Yeah, so Ashley, you're saying the same interests. That's how you can build your team, definitely. I think having that vision defined um, and how you want to run the company and, and what the business is trying to achieve, if everyone is kind of on the same page starting off there, then that could be a good starting point for sure. So when you're putting together a team uh, for a business, you want to try to put together some complementary skill sets. So let's say, for example, um, you're starting a business and the business is set up to, let's say, repair bikes, right? So you want, you want to set up a business and you want to do a bike repair shop. You need to have at least one person who knows how to repair the bikes, right? But you need, probably need to have another person, if it's, if it's a group, you need to have somebody else who knows how to actually run the business side, knows how to run the finances, the accounting, right? You have to have somebody who understands how to do the sales and the marketing. You have to understand, you have to have somebody who understands how to communicate with the staff members. Let's say you hire staff to help to, to do the business. You have to know, have somebody who knows how to communicate with those people, who organizes them, who ensures that all policies and procedures are being followed. These are all different kinds of people that you need to have in a business. Sometimes with a solopreneur or with somebody who's starting out, all of those people are one person. But as companies grow and as they scale, especially when you're looking at investors, investors are going to look very closely at how you're filling out the, the knowledge and information gaps in your team, the skill gaps, ensuring that, that all of the key capacities are filled, right? Yes, Joanna, exactly. So diversity is important for the introduction of new ideas. Definitely diversity of opinion, diversity of experience. Um, and also diversity of skills, right? So if I'm coming in with a, in for example, in, in the team that I'm on now, the Become Investable team, I'm coming in with international development experience or project management experience. There are other members of the team who are coming in with an investment banking background and have more of a finance experience. Other members of the team that are engineers and coming in with a different type of project management background. And those skill sets are complementary. Part of how you can figure out how, if you're putting the right team together is going back to your mission and vision. Are the people who you're bringing onto the team contributing to that mission and vision? Are they people who you feel work well together? Do they have a similar understanding of the values of the company and the way in which they wanna do business? If you have one person who's very committed to a particularly ethical way of running a business, very honest way of running a business, and you have somebody else who's willing to cut corners to make money, those two people probably won't work well together in a team. There'll be a lot of conflict and they won't be able to resolve. 
So it's important as well to put systems in place to manage um, performance, manage and measure performance and to address conflict as early on as possible. These are not always things that we consider in the early days of a startup, but they are things which prevent problems later on. Uh, it doesn't have to be a complicated system. It doesn't have to be something you know, overly official. You don't need special software, but just a way to ensure that people know what's expected of them, if they're meeting expectations, and if there is conflict in the team, how you can address it in a way that's respectful, in a way that's productive, and in a way that works to the benefit of both the people and as well as the company. So part of what you need to speak about as well in terms of when you're thinking of a team is to have a, take some time to think about the culture and the values of the company, right? Understand the environment that you want to establish. How do you want the company to run day to day? How do you want people to speak to each other? How do you want people to deal with conflict? How do you want people to deal with your customers? How do you want to be seen as um, in the market? So, you know, for example, um, in companies that I've worked in, we've looked at values of producing, always producing excellent quality, always having integrity, always meeting standards of excellence, right? So these are all different types of values that you can think about when you're considering whether or not um, someone matches the fit in terms of the culture of the company. Um, include the values that really reflect your values. And then you can assess your team members based on whether they fit into that. Because a lot of times it's not that people are either good or bad at their jobs, even though yes, obviously there's skills um, that come into it. But a lot of times you know, when people don't do well in a company, it also has to do with fit. It has to do with not being able to, not sharing the same values and vision as the rest of the team. So now that we've covered some of the fundamentals um, when it comes to the business model, there's just a few questions to guide sort of the formation of a business, right? One, are you building the right team? You have to think about identifying all the skills that you need for the key positions and bringing on team members based on their skill, their, their values, and their company culture fit. You want to ask yourself, and this is an important one, why do your customers choose you? So why are your customers choosing you? Why are they coming to your company specifically? They could go to anyone else, right? There are, if, you, if you're opening a supermarket, if you're opening a, a food delivery service, guarantee there's dozens of competitors out there. Why are your customers choosing you? And it's not always price. A lot of times people try to beat uh, their competitors on price, but, uh, but more often than not, it's the customer experience that really changes how people interact with and recommend a company. And those early referrals and recommendations for most companies are what's going to make you sink or swim. So you have to think about identifying your ideal customer really early on. So to do that, think about, think about a few things. You can think about who's really, um, who's really the person that could benefit the most from what you're offering, right? Build out that customer profile. We, we sometimes call it an avatar. It's essentially you're looking at who's, your, who's the person who you, when you thought this up in your mind, is benefiting the most from it. Is it, a, is it 
a man or a woman? Is it um, someone of ages, you know, 16 to 25, or is it someone who's ages 35 to 50 or above? Does the person have a particular type of interest? If, for example, even going back to the bike repair um, example, you want people who are interested in cycling, right? You're going to want people who are involved in that world. You're going to have those people are going to be within your customer profile, within your avatar. One thing which our, um, our mentor has always told us, and which I will now say to you, is that one of the number one things that businesses forget sometimes is that they, they get people in the door, but they don't keep up with their customers to get feedback. And if they do get that feedback, they don't review the feedback regularly enough. It is very, very, very important to establish a system to get feedback from your customers. This is regardless of whether you have a product, whether you have a service, whether you see your customers every single day or once a year. There's always a different way to make sure that you're meeting their needs, to make sure that if their needs are changing, that you're changing with them, and that if they're having a problem, that you're addressing it before they decide to get fed up and move on to somebody else. So don't only gather the feedback, but also figure out a way to review the feedback. Because also understanding your customers and showing investors that you understand your customers, understand their behavior, what they're looking for, how they, how they spend, that's really important to being able to gain the confidence of the investors that you know what you're doing. It helps the strength of your business model. So we ask the question a lot um, of our clients of what is your business a fortress? So in this, in this case, we're not necessarily talking about, you know, proper fortress with walls, although we do call what um, we refer to as competitive advantage, we call that our moat. So the moat around your castle. Essentially, what you're trying to do is determine what it is that sets your business apart and what makes it hard for your competitors to steal your market share, right? What makes it difficult for your competitors to, to, to win in the areas that you are winning? So in order to, to really think about that, you have to identify who your competitors are. Every single business has a competitor. Even people who are coming up with a brand new business model, the way to find out who your competitors are is think about the problem that you're solving and then determine how your customers are currently solving that problem. Because those are your competitors. Those are the people that you're going to have to, to, to get business from, even if your idea is completely new. So for example, let's think about something like... Um, online shopping, right? So let's say you are you wanted to open an online store and, and be able to, you have a whole system of how to create the, the purchasing experience, et cetera. And you say there are no other online stores in the area or in the country. And so my store is doesn't have any competitors. But how are, how are your customers, the people that you're trying to target, how are they currently solving that problem? How are they currently getting their clothes? They may either be making them themselves, buying them from other stores, buying them from other people, right? So yes, you may not have another online business that's competing with you, but you have a business that is competing for your customer's attention and that's solving their problem in a different way. So think about who those people are. Um, and also think sometimes about who your potential partners could be. It could be sometimes, for example, that if you have a team and the team has certain gaps in it, instead of always hiring new people or instead of trying to find somebody to join your team, you could set up a partnership with another company, another group of people 
who share your same values, have similar vision, et cetera, and have a partnership with them to provide certain services to you. So for example, we sometimes partner with a firm that does marketing and design because we are not marketers and designers in our firm, but we oftentimes need those skills to be able to prepare pitches and prepare presentations for our clients. And so we partner with a firm, instead of hiring a full-time marketing person, we partner with a marketing firm and we work together. We provide them with certain business advisory services. They provide us with certain marketing services and we go from there. Um, always be able to articulate your unique selling point and your specialized skills, specialized skills of your team and your unique selling point, which is the thing which sets you apart. We call it sometimes your secret sauce. It's your special, whatever your special differentiating factor is, be able to properly articulate that because that is the thing which when speaking to an investor is going to take them from being somewhat interested to very interested. Because the, the more secret and the more special that secret source is, the harder it will be for other people to do what you're doing. Um, and that brings us to last point on this, which is protecting intellectual property. Um, this is different in each jurisdiction, but it's really just thinking about if you have something which is patentable or that can be trademarked, um, do some research into what it takes to trademark or patent that thing. Once it gets to a point where um, you think it needs to be protected, that helps you ensure that no one can steal your idea um, or your product and do it for themselves. It's not always uh, an easy or cheap process though. So do think about it, how you want to approach it, but it's just something to think about as well, how to protect your intellectual property. Um, and an important part of business, which people, which you may have seen, if you've seen Shark Tank, you've definitely seen this part. You have to understand your numbers, right? You have to know the numbers of your company. You have to understand how much money you're spending, how much money you're bringing in, what you're spending your money on, um, and also what you're projected to spend, especially when you're doing a startup, you're not gonna have historical financials. You're not gonna have money that you've spent already. So you have to think about what you're going to spend and how you're going to bring in money and how you're gonna spend that money and how you're gonna use that money to for future growth um, and development of the company, right? So have an understanding, keep good records from the beginning of your cash position, how much cash you have in the bank, your payables, and your receivables. So what bills are you paying and how is money coming in? Understand your revenue, your expenses, and also understand the profitability of your company, bottom line, right? So profits and loss, um, cash flow. And these are simple statements, which you can usually look up um, online for simple templates to just be able to help you keep track of how you're spending, how you're earning, and then, you know, any future money that's coming in, future bills that are going to go out, it helps you to understand your current position, but also the future position of the company um, financially, right? And it's something that the investors will need, will be interested in understanding. And so the last question is, if you're ready to face those investors, and in this case, that's where the, the projections and the financial statements do come in. Um, for for more established companies for you will want to once you've had more than a year of operations you'll want to have somebody help you prepare these but you always want to know what's in them yeah so always understand what your financial statements say and understand how your projections are prepared because in a meeting with an investor you're not always going to have your accountant there you need to be able to explain it to them you don't want to say to somebody who's 
just on the cusp of, of handing over um, an investment. Actually, I have to get back to you on that. I have to speak to my accountant. You want to be able to speak very knowledgeably about your company, how you're spending your money and how you're making your money. It also helps if you can show that you have some skin in the game. So what does this mean? It means that for a lot of companies, um, you need to show that you often are the first investor in your own company. It doesn't mean that you have to have a ton of money and that you will have to have sort of cash on hand, definitely not. It does mean that you have to show some level of investment, whether it's investment of time, investment of whatever resources and experiences that you do have into the company. Um, most people's first investors are friends and family. And then that sort of lazy foundation of that some that show that people believe in this idea and believe in the company. And then they can then move on to, and friends and family doesn't have to mean your actual family or the people who are closest to you. It can mean people that you know through your network, reaching out to people to see if they're interested in, in some level of investment in the company. And then you can, when you go to, and a larger investor, they can see like, okay, yes, you know, there's a track record here. You can build on that. So this is just some of the fundamentals that we've spoken about. And these are the things that you can keep in mind when you're putting together your business model, right? Building the right team, why your customers are choosing you, what sets your business apart. Do you know your numbers? Are you ready to face investors? And one that I didn't speak as much about today, but it's the strength of your company structure. So that just looks at sort of what are some of the policies and, and the processes that you have to actually manage the company internally. Um, and something to think about as you go down the line. There's a few, a few key aspects when you're looking at the actual pitch deck, right? On the pitch day, these are some of the questions that you have to be able to answer. So these are going to stem very, very closely related to what we spoke about with regard to the business model, but they're specifically to do with the pitch. You have to look, you have to be able to state very articulately what problem you're solving. What's the scope of the problem? What's the scale of the problem? Whose problem is it? Right? Be able to identify and answer those questions off the bat and have good answers to these questions. What's the scope of the, what's the scope? What's the scale and whose problem is it? Look at what your target market is. Identify that for the investors. Who's your ideal customer? Be realistic, be specific, go back to the customer profile and be able to, to explain that well. Realistic and specific is important for all aspects of this. When it comes to identifying even your problem, for example, don't go too big. Think focused, okay? Be specific and be realistic. Explain why your business is a solution. You can do this by answering the questions of how are your customers gonna use this product or service? And then if you can, whether it's through a demo of the product or service or even through like screenshots of a mock-up, if it's something like an app or a tech-based solution, you can have a screenshot, you can have a mock-up of what you're gonna want it to look like. Show how it works and what it does because showing how it works is a lot better than telling them how it works. So if you, if you can even put together a demo, get a couple of people to test it out, then that's always a good way um, to, to speak to investors because you're kind of speaking from a position of authority. Of course, as we spoke about, businesses are to make money. So how is your business gonna make money? Look at the revenue model. What do you charge and who pays? 
So, for example, there are certain business models in which the person who is giving the service or receiving the service isn't paying for it. Somebody else is paying for it. If I'm pitching a business model that, that's based on ad revenue, then it's it doesn't actually matter whether the users can pay, right? Because users aren't paying. What you have to figure out is how you're going to make it um, attractive to the advertisers, right? Television and radio, for example, all of these things are paid for by ads. So you have to figure out it's actually how you're going to make this business model attractive to the advertisers. How are you selling it to them? Because if you don't have the ad revenue, the business isn't going to function. So think about who's paying. Is it that the actual users are paying? And say exactly, Kevin, you just took the words right out of my mouth. If you're not paying for the product, and you may have heard this before, if you're not paying for something, then you are the product, right? And, in, and the, what that means is, if you are not providing money for a product or service, you are likely having, you are part of what is being sold to, to gain that revenue for the company. Um, not you specifically, but your data, your profile, your information, right? So it's just something to think about. Think about when you're thinking about your revenue model, it's not always going to be that it's just a direct transaction. Sometimes you also have to think about if this is something which is going to benefit from ad revenue, from other types of revenue. And then think about how your revenue model compares to your competitors. It could be that your revenue model is better. It could be that it's different than the way that other people are making their money. Um, Facebook was not the first social media um, site to come about, but it was the one that made the most money. So how is their revenue model different than their previous competitors, right? Something to think about. If you can have proof of adoption, um, early, early adoption of your product or service, any early sales, pre-sales expressed interest um, in your product or service, and you have that evidence from actual people who are either giving you feedback or who've tried it, um, and you can present that to investors, then it proves that it's not just in your head, right? This is not just your baby. This is something that other people have seen, have tried, have experienced, and have liked. Um, if you're sort of in the stage right before that and, you, and you're, you're pitching, think about very clearly about the major goals that you either have achieved and then the, the plan that you have to achieve the other major goals and next steps for your business's growth. Think about your marketing and sales strategy. How are you gonna get this product in front of prospective customers? Are you gonna go door to door? Are you gonna sell it online? Are you gonna use social media advertising? Are you gonna use influencer marketing, uh, television, radio? How are you gonna get this in front of your customers? How are you gonna reach your target market specifically? Because this is where the target market comes in as well. Maybe your target market is not going to be the same people that look at Facebook. So maybe it doesn't make sense to send, to put ads on Facebook. Maybe your target market, through your research, you discover that they use TikTok or they use, WhatsApp or they use other platforms. And so maybe it makes sense to put your money there so that you're spending your money strategically. Um, think about the sales channels. And once again, especially when it comes to marketing and sales, you wanna be able to clearly articulate what differentiates your business because that's what you're marketing. You're essentially marketing what sets you apart, right? And then once again, you have to think your team is so important. I'm just gonna keep saying it. The team is very important. The people who are running the company, are the lifeblood of the company. 
who are, who are you? Why are you the best people to be running this business? What skills and experience do you have? Highlight the team members, your successes, your expertise. And then here's the other thing, because for a lot of these businesses, especially for the ones for next weekend, you're not going to have all these things filled out already. But what you should do to be able to show that you have an understanding of the company or the business is identify the key positions that you're going to need and then have a plan for filling those positions, right? Um, because then that shows that you've thought it through. It shows that you've thought through who you need and who would, who would be needed to, to make the business successful. Um, Look at your competition, identify your competitors, how they're solving their problems, how are you different and better than them, why they'll choose you, and what are the key advantages that you have, right? What are the key advantages that you have and how is it better than your competitors? Look at your financials. Last thing, financials. What are the underlying assumptions? What are you assuming? What are you assuming is the size of your market? Make sure you're not putting in a lot of hockey stick projections. If you can imagine a, a graph, right? Like an x-axis and a y-axis, right? And you're looking at growth over time. A lot of times, and, and here's something that investors look for, and this is a red flag to them, so it's not a good thing all the time, is a company will say, well, we're starting at zero. And they will say, but over the course of the year, we're going to go from zero like this. So most companies don't grow like that, which is, going from zero to 100. Most companies will grow slowly over time in a slow curve. And actually, that is a much more realistic, but also much more sustainable way to grow. Hockey stick growth, or what's called hockey stick projections, um, is usually what happens if you're only looking at your business in a vacuum. So you're not looking at the actual market forces. What you're looking at is just essentially you're doing uh, back of the envelope math. So you're saying, okay, if there's 2 million potential customers in my country and each person, let's assume that I that we sell to 80% of these people and each person pays $2, then this is how much money we're going to make in a year. And it's just unlikely that that's true. You have to think about what are the underlying assumptions. You're assuming that every single person you sell to is going to buy. You're assuming that the price is going to stay constant. You're assuming that... Um, that everyone that you market to or advertise to is going to buy your product. Everybody who's part of your market is going to buy it. And that's usually not true. So you have to be a little bit more realistic in your projections in order to make them seem like, in order to make it seem as though you've really thought it through. So be clear about what your assumptions are because the investors will ask, how did you come up with that number? Be realistic and then keep it just super straightforward. Don't get too complicated. And then in the end, just remember to put in your ask. How much money are you asking for? How are you planning on using the money? And how is the money gonna help you achieve your goals? In the end, the important part is to tell your story simply and honestly, right? After your pitch, you may, when, you, when you're pitching to investors, during the pitch, you, don't, you need to keep it straightforward and simple. But after the pitch, you may need to have a written version of the pitch, which is essentially like a summary memo. You want to have more detailed documentation on workflows that they may ask for, more detailed financial forecasts. How are you going to hire? How are you going to do your research and development? What are you going to spend on if you have manufacturing costs? How much is it going to be? Marketing expenses, sales forecasts, profit and loss forecasts, cash flow forecasts. These are all things that you may need after the pitch. You don't need it during the pitch, but you need to have it ready. Uh, soon thereafter, if you're going to continue these discussions with these same investors. Um, so just to recap, 
think a lot about your numbers as a company, your customers' feedback. Keep your processes and systems in place. It'll help you to scale your company over time. And think about what the barriers of entry are for other competitors that keeps them out of the market. Um, focus on your fundamentals. And to keep in mind for a successful pitch, keep these things in mind. Keep it simple and straightforward. Make sure to tell a story, be engaging. Don't overstate the market opportunity. Don't make it seem as though this is the only thing, best thing since sliced bread. Keep it realistic. Remember to include the ask, right? So include how much you're asking for, why you're asking for it, what you're going to do with it. And also make sure the presentation, if you prepare a pitch deck, a presentation, make sure it can stand on its own. Because sometimes if you um, send it as a PDF to an investor, for example, they can forward it on to other people, people who might be interested. But if the presentation doesn't make sense without you speaking um, over it, it's not going to be as powerful a document. So do make sure it stands on its own and that the key information is in there. So that's basically it. Podcast World, YouTube World, there you have it. All about the pitch with Zara Alain. Learn more at becominvestable.com. Subscribe to Caribbean Power Lunch at caribbeanpowerlunch.com slash subscribe. Check us out on CastBox, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And with that, Podcast World, Cabin Studios, we are out.